Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. Happy Hump Day. Happy Harmony Day. We'll have some Tennessee harmony as we do every Wednesday. Pastor Bobby and Pastor Anthony will be here. We're going to delve a little deeper into toxic masculinity. We talked about manhood last week with uh, Pastor Bobby and pa Pastor Anthony. We're going to go a little bit deeper today and talk about toxic masculinity. Uh, we also have a couple of special guests, uh, or at least one. Well, we got two special guests, actually. Bill O'Reilly. No spin news. BillOReilly.com. Bill O'Reilly, the big Fox News superstar, he's going to join us on, on today's show. We'll talk a little Afghanistan. Uh, we'll perhaps uh, get his reaction. Remember, Megyn Kelly was on the show and had some interesting things to say about Bill. We'll get his reactions to her comments. Can't wait to talk to uh, the big man, Bill O'Reilly. Uh, Mark Schlereth, former NFL star, he's going to join us very shortly uh, because... I'm going to begin today uh, talking about COVID and what's going on in the NFL. And we'll get Mark Slareth. You know, you guys remember, you, Jimmy, you know Mark Slareth, a good friend of the show, yes, uh, yes. great human being, one of the best guys I know. I actually, I, I love Mark. We'll probably disagree on, on my take on this COVID and Cam Newton and Bill Belichick. Horrible uh, Denver Bronco player. Uh, <laughs> so you have all that and more to look forward to, but as we like to do on this show, Jim, I'm going to start by starting a fire. Based on his comments Wednesday morning, it's fair to conclude Bill Belichick is no fan of the NFL's nonsensical and highly divisive COVID protocols. The Patriots head coach started his day meeting with the media. For about 10 minutes, reporters probe football's greatest coach for insight into the reasoning that caused the team to cut starting quarterback Cam Newton. Belichick provided no such insight. He dodged every direct question concerning Cam and pivoted to offering not-so-subtle gripes about the league's convoluted and authoritarian COVID protocols. When asked if Cam's unvaccinated status contributed to his departure, Here's how Belichick responded. Did Cam's vaccination status have anything to do with him being released? No. No, I, I mean, look, you guys keep talking about that. And, you know, I would just point out that I don't know what the number is. I mean, you guys can look it up. You have the access to a lot of information. But the number of players and coaches and staff members that have, um, you know, been infected by COVID in this training camp who have been vaccinated is a pretty high number. So I wouldn't lose sight of that. Later in the press conference, a reporter asked a second question regarding Cam's vaccination status and the impact of Cam missing practice because of the league's COVID protocols. Here's that clip. We have other players on the team who aren't vaccinated, as I would say probably does every other team in the league. And we've had uh, minimal, but throughout the league, there have been a number of, quite a high number, I would say, of players who have you know, had the virus who have been vaccinated. So you know, your implication that vaccination solves every problem is just not really, I would say that that has not been substantiated 
based on what's happened in training camp this year. That's all. All right, let's be clear here. The reporter did not imply anything. Belichick knows this. He knows the NFL and the NFLPA have implied that the vaccine solves every problem. He knows that's not true. He knows the NFL isn't forcing the vaccine on its players out of concern for their safety. They're doing it to appease critics of football. They're doing it to align with the big tech social media overlords. The NFL knows that if it doesn't bully its players into taking the vaccine, corporate media will double and triple down on their assault on football. Roger Goodell and the league's office have spent the past decade trying to make peace with their enemies through appeasement. Who is the NFL's enemy? The political left, the people determined to tear down the patriarchy, the feminists who labeled masculinity as toxic, the alleged journalists who have distorted football's concussion issue, the woke warriors who want to end football. It's all connected. Goodell thinks fighting for football means making peace with people who hate football. It's not gonna happen. Last year, the NFL bowed to the Black Lives Matter mob. The league draped itself in Marxist ideology and utopian slogans. This year, it's embracing pandemic panic, forcing young men in relatively perfect health to inject an experimental drug is ludicrous. The NFL played an entire season a year ago with no one vaccinated. Did one NFL player die? Did any NFL player get hospitalized during the season with COVID? These players are not all stupid sheep. They know the COVID survival rate. They know older, fat, unhealthy people are the people who should be taking extra precautions. They know the NFL has no business getting this deep into their medical decisions. So does Bill Belichick. A reporter asked him to cite the number of unvaccinated Patriot players. Listen to this response. How many players on the team are still not vaccinated? Yeah, again, I'm not going to get into that. Those are all personal decisions, and that's not my place to talk about another person's decision or medical condition. What's going on in the NFL is a joke. It not only violates the player's personal rights, it violates the unifying tenets of team sports. Vaccinated and unvaccinated players are being treated differently in things as small as where they can eat in team facilities and what they can eat at the team facility. Unvaccinated players have to report to the facility much earlier than unvaccinated players. It's all stupid. It's all theater to appease the media. Most of the vaccinated, including the coaches, took the vaccine under personal protest. You can't convince me a group of mostly 20-something men believe getting the vaccine is in their best interest. The NFL is immersed in the same political theater as the rest of the country. Sports used to be a leader. Now sports leagues are followers. I'm as frustrated as Bill Belichick. All right, let's roll out to Denver, Colorado and visit with good friend of mine and Uncle Jimmy's uh, colleague at Fox Sports 1 for several years, Mark Slayer, three-time Super Bowl champion, expert NFL uh, radio and television uh, analyst. Mark, you've heard my rant. 
I, I think the unvaccinated players are being completely unfairly. Do you agree? Um, well, uh, let me let me say this, that I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I don't wholeheartedly agree with you. And the reason I say it that way, Jason, is because it's never been fair. Decisions are always made based upon the information given. Fastest 40 guys get extra opportunity. The most talented guys get extra opportunities. I have been turned down for three jobs in free agency because of my injury history. The Atlanta Falcons turned me down. The Chicago Bears turned me down. The Indianapolis Colts turned me down. The doctor of the Atlanta Falcons said, you have the needs of an 80-year-old woman. I wouldn't sign you. So I went on to play six more years and, and win two more world championships. So it's always been that way. When you are given a choice, like the players have been given a choice, to get vaccinated or not to get vaccinated, there are also consequences that come with that. And so they are dealing with those consequences. That's always been the case in the National Football League is you make a choice, there are consequences associated with that choice. And I would say this, um, availability becomes very important, responsibility becomes very important, and you have a responsibility to be available to your football team. And if this gives you even it's only a 20% greater chance of, of being available, well, that's that to me is worth taking a vaccine for as a player. And I will tell you, listen, man, I, I, I guarantee you, if it comes down to the vaccinated player versus the unvaccinated player and all things are equal, and they're talking about a guy running down on special teams making a play, and they NFL teams will choose the vaccinated player because he has more of an ability uh, or more of a likelihood of getting through um, getting through and, and being available than the unvaccinated player does. Maybe it's only 20 percent, but those are the decisions being made inside of inside of facilities uh, the last two days. So that that's the way the NFL works. Mark, I can't disagree with anything you said but I still don't think it's right because they've set up rules to favor the sheep who can be easily bullied into taking a vaccine that they just don't need. These are 20 to 32 year old men in excellent health for the most part. The, all the statistics say that you know, they're not going to be harmed by COVID. The survival rate and the death rate for people in their age group with their health status. Again, nothing's going to happen to them. And I felt like, and, and I want your take on this, I felt like I heard some frustration from Bill Belichick hmm. that he thinks like I think. Like, man, we've created a bunch of rules that, ha that are actually divisive within our locker room and have complicated this football process in an unnecessary way. I think Bill Belichick is sympathetic to the unvaccinated players. Oh, I don't think there's any question that he's sympathetic because it makes it hard for him. I mean, it makes it harder for you as an organization because you have to jump through all these hoops and you're being monitored by Big Brother. So it definitely makes it harder on Bill Belichick. So I don't think there's any question about that, but it's not about being a 32 year old or a 29 year old and having a, a, a less likelihood of being sick. It's really about Bill. How old is Bill Belichick? He's 
pushing 70. It's your coaching staff. It's the people within your building that you in, you're in contact with all the time. Those are the people at further risk. Like I got vaccinated, Jason, I got vaccinated as soon as I could. Um, and there were several concerns that I had. I've, I've had about, I almost lost my career in 1993 with a bout of Guillain-Barre, uh, which is a, a um, Guillain-Barre is an autoimmune deficiency. I lost all the feel in my arms and legs for the better part of a half a year. Um, lost a ton of weight, was very sick, didn't think my career, or there were times I didn't think my career would continue. Um, and so I was concerned about getting vaccinated. The bottom line is I have a mom who's suffering with cancer. I want to be with her as much as I can. I have young, you know, I have a family. I want to make sure that I'm protecting the people within my family, my father, my mother that are in their 80s as much as I can. So when, it, when you're in a football organization, like you can say what you want about the business side of it, but it becomes family. And it's more about all the people, you know, my head trainer just retired, Steve Antonopoulos, when I was with Denver after 45 years of being a trainer in that building. So it's those people that we have to protect, or at least the NFL is looking at the, the, the team in totality. So, yeah, is he frustrated? Sure, he's frustrated. Is it a lot more hoops to have to jump through? Absolutely. But the bottom line is winning championships and being a great organization is not about you, the individual. It's not about whether you're going to get sick or whether you're going to get your shine or not. It's about us as a team. What is best for the whole? And I think that's where like that's where my opinion difference differs from a lot of people's opinion uh, when it comes to the unfair nature. Man, I'm used to the unfair nature. We're all treated fairly, but we're not all treated equally. Just ask any superstar that walks inside the building uh, as opposed to a guy that's at the end of the roster like me. It's a, there's a big difference in the way you're treated. The thing that Belichick is saying and the thing that I'm agreeing with, and I think most people know, we don't know if the vaccine provides protection for people. Israel, I believe, is the most vaccinated country on the planet, 90%. And they're having all kinds of problems. So it's all speculation. And so mm -hmm. if I'm Belichick or Lamar Jackson or Cole Beasley, it's like y'all just want me to go off speculation. Mark, let me ask you this and, and, and I'll, I'll let you end on, on this note. You have a son who was a, a professional baseball player. Let's mm -hmm. wind the clock back and say he's 22 years old and he doesn't have kids yet. Because th that is my concern, is like reproductive issues and down the road, blah, blah, blah. If your 22-year-old son, you would want him to take this vaccine, uh, to be forced into taking this vaccine to play in Major League Baseball? I would want him to take the vaccine because I think it gives you the best chance of mitigating the uh, the results of getting COVID. If you know, if you haven't had it already, if you haven't already been exposed to it and have the natural antibodies, I think it gives you the best chance of of mitigating the potential issues of COVID. And obviously, there are many, and there's a lot of stuff that is unknown. I understand that, Jason. But yes, I would encourage him to take it. Um, and uh, you know, that's that's just where I stand on the vaccine. Mark, I appreciate you doing this. You're one of my favorite people uh, in the sports media business. Uh, Mark's a believer. I don't think he minds me sharing that. 
and he just comes at things from such an honest uh, perspective. Uh, miss you, man. Love you. I, I miss, love what hey, you man, I miss you too, and I love you, and I want to tell you something. Um, I had this conversation three weeks ago um, with my dear friend, who was my coach since I was a freshman in high school, that I talked to every week who refused to get vaccinated and passed away a couple of days ago from COVID. And I just spoke at his funeral. So, you know, it's a topic to me that's, that, that hits home. And, um, this is a guy that I talk to weekly and for the last 40 years. And, um, and so, you know, I mean, I, I just want to give people the best opportunity, um, to, to live long, full lives. So that's where I'm at. Well, as uncle Jimmy just went through COVID, uh, here in Nashville, and it, it certainly shook me up and has me eating better and on a diet and trying to do mm-hmm. all the things you can do to protect yourself. I need to get in, you know, Mark's in shape like he's 35 years old. Uh, I, need to, I need to try to get there. Listen, man, Mark uh, is a class act, man. Mark is a class act. I mean, if there's anything that I can just maybe – Pick, a, pick him apart for is the fact of he had that little stint in Denver. Other than that, man, that, I mean, <laughs> the, the man is a class act. Hey, you guys know I got to run, but I love you both, man. I uh, miss you both. All right, thank, you, thank you. Thank you, Mark. Man, I thought you was going to do your uh, Jimmy from Denver routine that we used to do in on radio. Remember we used to call, <laughs> Remember we used to call? Used to call yeah. in, I know, I know Jimmy. Jimmy Jason, but you do realize what year that was in then? What? What year that was? Back then, that was fashionable. <laughs> Crack that joke. Huge Broncos fan, Jimmy from Denver. He used to call the radio show all the time. Huge. <laughs> no, we can't crack that joke, and I'm not laughing at that. I'm laughing at the fact that Jimmy. It's making me think about how funny that was years ago, but now it's not funny at all. Jimmy's making me think Think about that. Yeah. Jimmy told you up front, don't go there. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move to a better topic. My good friends at Good Ranchers. Oh, yeah, it's become your best friend. Yeah, when you're preparing for a nice cookout at home, look at Good Ranchers. When you're hungry for a great meal for your entire family, Look at Good Ranchers. When you're wanting to save money, but still have great quality food, look at Good Ranchers. They provide some of the best chicken and beef I've ever tasted, and it can be delivered safely to your home right now. Good Ranchers meals are all 100% American farm-raised, and that's one of the many reasons why I love using them here in Nashville. If you subscribe, you'll get $20 off and free express shipping Get steakhouse quality for less than $5 per meal. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash Fearless to get $20 off and free express shipping. And just, I'm just, people are starting to reach out to me. A friend of mine in Kansas City, Susie May, reached out to me this morning. I'm like, Whitlock, you're losing weight. You look incredible. And you know what? I honestly told her, I texted her, I said, Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers is helping me do it. This good, I'm just eating better. And Good Ranchers is a part of that. That's GoodRanchers.com slash fearless. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. Welcome back to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. 
All right, Uncle Jimmy. You sure? We got a big guest. This is the big dog. Yeah, I don't know if it gets any bigger than this. We got the big man, Bill O'Reilly. You guys know him, of course, from his days at Fox News. He now has the No Spin News and BillOReilly.com. Bill O'Reilly, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. We are honored to have you. Well, that's very nice of you to say, Jason. First of all, I apologize for the lighting. Um, we're fearless here, too, but we can't seem to fix these lights. But at least you can hear me, right? You can hear me all right? <laughs> I can hear you perfectly, Bill, and I wouldn't worry about the lighting. You look better in the dark. Uh, anyway. You know, that's true, Jason. And, and you're very kind to say that, by the way, but that is absolutely true. Bill, you can return the favor and say the same thing to him. <laughs> hey, uh, Bill, we were just talking with former NFL player Mark Slareth, and, and I'm wondering, are you following this NFL COVID deal controversy? Uh, Bill Belichick today, I thought, pretty much came out as anti-vax mandate. He, they kept trying to ask him questions about Cam Newton, and he kept pushing them back into saying, look, man, we don't know what's going on with this vaccine. We've had vaccinated people catch COVID. We've had unvaccinated people catch COVID. Uh, I, I felt like Belichick made it kind of clear that he thinks the, the NFL is wrong for trying to force these young guys into taking the vaccine. I'm just, have you been following this at all? Do you have a, yeah, a take on I've been what the NFL's it. doing? Yep. Well, if I were the NFL commissioner, I would issue a mandate that all players had to be vaccinated. And I would do that for a public safety reason. Because as you know, Jason, I mean, players are in very close proximity to each other. And football is obviously a contact sport. So for the safety of the players themselves, I would say if you want to be an active player, you have to be vaccinated. If you choose not to be vaccinated, we're not going to punish you or cut you, but you'll be on the inactive list. OK, and the union will work out some kind of payment schedule, whatever that may be. But that's what I would do. As far as Cam Newton is concerned, I don't think this has to do with the vax. I think it has to do with his diminishing abilities on the field. So if you look at the New England Patriot roster, they're obviously going to start the Alabama guy, Mac Jones. They got a good guy behind Jones. Hoyer has been around forever, knows the system, can mentor Jones. They save about $2 million cutting Cam Newton. So it's a business decision. Newton didn't perform that well last year. He just didn't look that sharp in preseason. He's not as quick as he used to be. And I'm an old college quarterback, and I, I can see this stuff. And his arm strength isn't quite what it used to be. Now, he can still play in the league. But if you've got a Mac Jones on the ascent and you paid him a lot of money as a first draft choice, you're going with him. And a backup, Hoyer, is cheaper than um, – than Cam Newton. So I think it was much more of a business decision there than a Vax decision. I gotta say, Bill, Bill, he, I want, yeah, I want his job. He clearly wants my job. He should be a sports commentator. <laughs> I, Bill, I, and, and I gotta be honest, I did not know, you played quarterback in college? Elaborate yeah. a little bit. 
I, I was basically the place kicker and the punter and the backup quarterback scheduled to start my senior, my junior year at Marist College. But then I decided to go abroad and be an intellectual uh, Jason. Uh, so I, I went to the University of London, forfeited my junior year and came back and I played my senior year. But I was more of a backup quarterback. But I know the position and I know the game. In high school, uh, I played ice hockey. Uh, I played semi-pro baseball. Uh, I played CYO basketball. So I've always been engaged in sports myself. And I have taken a very rabid interest in it because I think sports is a great American institution great place to escape, a great place to compete. And, you know, if you want to know anything about sports, Jason, here I am. I'm ready to go. I, I, I can tell. Now, I will say this. You kind of shocked me saying that you would force the players to be vaccinated. You kind of sounded like Joe Biden there for a second when I, when I was listening. No, to no, that, but, but it's a different. I'm not going to. I'm, I'm coming at it from a different point of view because it's not like most other professions. Uh, football, pro football is a dangerous profession. It's dangerous. And, you know, NFL stands for not for long. Average uh, tenure in the league is about three years. So you've got to protect the health of the players. And every piece of evidence says that taking the vaccine makes a person safer. So that's the point of view I'm coming from, not from a political point of view or anything like that. All right. Let's, let me move you into politics and, and help educate me. Outrage has become so normalized that it's hard for me to judge when the outrage is genuine and whether or not thing is it a reflection of reality. And so you're the veteran newsman. You've been following this. You've written a lot of books about political history and, and whatnot. How outraged should we be about what's transpired in Afghanistan and Joe Biden's responsibility for what has transpired in Afghanistan? Is it really as bad as, as people are making it out to be? It's bad. Um, I don't know if outrage is, a, is the best word here. I think concern for your country, because we have weak leadership now. President Biden is a weak man. He's diminished, and he apparently lives in a world of delusion. Any president that would come on television three days after 13 American service people are blown up by terrorists in Afghanistan and say, we did an extraordinarily excellent job evacuating people from Kabul. Anybody who would say that is delusional. So ra rather than I was angry that the service people got killed, I was angry that Joe Biden looked at his watch while the coffins were going by him in Dover, Delaware. But I'm more concerned based upon Biden's performance in eight months. And if he was in the NFL, he would have been cut. I would have been cut, Jason, all right, because it's been a, an abysmal performance. And for me, covering politics for almost 50 years and knowing every single president, I wrote books on him, as you mentioned, uh, he's diminished. He's not going to make a comeback. All right. And that's frightening to me as an American citizen. What do you say to people? And, and I was just 
a young kid at this time, but I remember in the last three, four, maybe the entire last four years of Ronald Reagan's presidency, people argued that he was cognitively diminished. Is there any comparison there? Well, he was diminished, but it wasn't in his last term. It was in his first term, right after he was nearly assassinated. And I wrote, I think, the best book on Ronald Reagan called Killing Reagan, where he was this close to dying, and it took him a good year to recover from that. In the meantime, he was serving as president of the United States, and his mental acuity declined, and there's no doubt about it. But then Reagan made a miraculous comeback, and I guess that's possible for Joe Biden as well, all right? But this was a physical injury, you know, and people forget how close President Reagan came to dying. Um, And that kind of a trauma on the body takes a while. And he was, you know, a fairly elderly man to begin with. So there's not a comparison between Reagan and Biden because of the physical problems that Reagan had. Biden, if you look, I had Joseph Lieberman, the former senator from uh, Connecticut, on the No Spin News last night. And I asked him, I said, you've known Biden for decades. You served with him in the Senate. Is this a diminished man? And Lieberman said, yes. Now that's an eyewitness, knows Biden really well, and Lieberman's a Democrat. So I don't think there's any question about it. All right, Bill, you obviously reached and was a part of taking cable news and making it pervasive throughout American culture. Uh, I'm someone that kind of believes that cable news has not been good for American culture. I I don't think we're more informed. You know, I, I think our emotions are played with more often. And so I I, kind of want your take as a historian. Are we more informed in this era of cable news coverage as opposed to previous generations when it was a Walter Cronkite or, uh, you know, there was less perversion of the news? Are we more informed in this generation or just more outraged? It's an excellent question um, and a complex question. I uh, started my career in 1976, coming out of Boston University with a master's degree in broadcast journalism. And I worked my way up. I started in Scranton, Pennsylvania, worked my way up to the network news. And I was a correspondent under Dan Rather at CBS, under Peter Jennings at ABC. The news back then was fairly straightforward. The news divisions were not mandated to make billions of dollars. That was the difference. The standard was you've got to tell the truth and back it up. You have to do that. And the people in place were very skilled at doing that. Okay. Peter Jennings was a brilliant man. So then what happened, and it's partially my fault, was when I was at Harvard getting a master's degree in public administration, I understood the technology was changing and there was going to be 24-hour news presentations. So I invented a program that ultimately became known as the O'Reilly Factor. It was a commentary program based upon facts, all right? And I do that to this day. 
My commentary is not ideological. It's not party driven. It's based on facts. I can back up everything I say. Well, that program, as you know, was the biggest program ever in cable news. It exploded Fox News. It brought a whole new corporate mentality to the news. And that's the key, because they made so much money doing news analysis that standards started to fly out the window. Now, I believe I kept them until I left Fox News close to five years ago. But now it's you say this because we want our audience, whether it's conservative or liberal, to watch us. And we're not that interested whether it's true or not. And that is the deterioration. And then you have the newspapers doing the same thing. New York Times does not cover the news for everybody. It covers the news for liberal people. Same thing with The Washington Post. So they know where the money is, and that's where they go, and the truth be damned in many areas. Bill, you, you've, you've said a mouthful. I want to ask you specifically, and I don't, I don't know if you can comment, what do you think of Fox News in your absence, in the absence of Roger Ailes, uh, and, and particularly on the other side of this election where they seem to have somewhat abandoned their audience and, and seem to be in a, a, a fight with their audience. What's your take on Fox News and, and how they're covering the news now? They have some very skilled people uh, at Fox News and they're brilliant marketers and they have a ton of money um, to get their message out. It's not the place now than it was when I was there. And some people say, well, O'Reilly, you're part of the problem. Ted Koppel said I ruined the television news industry. He said that right on my own show. OK, so I don't want to get into semantics about who was better, who was worse, what the standards were or what the standards are now. But what has changed there is the money factor that the executives running the show are now judged on how much profit they can bring in. I don't know of anyone in, manager, in a managerial position at Fox News or CNN that has any news experience at all. Not, they're business people. Mm. So buyer beware. I tell my audience, and, and this obviously gives me a huge advantage in the blaze too. Because people, they're sensing they're not getting the whole truth and nothing but the truth. They're not getting it. So my agency, BillOReilly.com, the No Spin News, we do provide that. You know, when somebody attacks me or whatever, I just slay them with the facts, Jason. I've always done it. I always will do it. I just hit them boom, 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 boom. And they're staggered. All right. And because of that, these independent news agencies are growing exponentially, and I think that's a positive for the country. Listen, I, I don't, tell me what you really believe. I, I, I don't have an agenda with this question, but I'm someone that thinks there's a, one guy out there that's a huge exception. I, I love what Tucker Carlson's doing. I, I, I believe that uh, he does have a sense of news judgment, uh, he does have a commitment to truth wherever it leads. I don't think he's perfect, 
but somehow I think they they stumbled into a worthy replacement for you and the O'Reilly factor. And again, you don't have to agree, or I'm not looking for a specific answer, but I want your take on Tucker Carlson, and I think he's the most important voice out there on cable news at this point. Well, he's certainly a skilled communicator, and he's doing very well uh, gathering an audience. Um, but it's not news reportage. He's coming at it from a world view. Uh, and the world view is held by millions of Americans who want to watch what he says because, just like you, Jason, he is fearless. So he'll say things um, that no one else will say. And when you get into that position, you're going to attract an audience. So my analysis of him, he's very effective at what he does. It's totally different than what I did. He is successful in doing what he does. I don't think it hurts the country. Um, and it's entertaining. He, he knows how to do this kind of thing. But you'll remember back when I was on, I always brought in or tried to get the smartest person who disagreed with me. Right? John Stewart. I, I told my yeah. staff, get me the best of the best and go up against me in a debate. That's not what happens anymore. It's kind of an echo chamber in all the shows. And I, to me, I, I would rather see a really spirited debate with two intelligent people than just my opinion reinforced over and over again. I, I'm gonna back you up on that to say that uh, there was a time when, Jimmy, when, when me and Bill didn't always get along, but Bill always wanted me on his show and, you know, had me on his show for years. It's not that we disagreed on everything, because a lot of times he brought me on on things that, that he agreed with me. But when we did disagree, he still wanted me to come on his, <laughs> come on his show. Uh, and sure. so I respect that. I, I think that we're in a different era, though, now where the left is afraid to engage with people they disagree with. And I think it's much harder. Bill, Bill I read and I want to ask you this. Are, you're planning to do a speaking tour with uh, former President Trump? Yes, we one of the things about the Trump era, the four years that he was in the Oval Office was we didn't get, as you pointed out earlier in the program, honest reporting. So people don't know what Trump did or did not do and why. They don't know. They don't know how the vaccine got up and running so quickly. They don't know what the deal he made with the Taliban actually was. They don't know um, how the border, how those massive uh, caravans stopped. They don't know any of that. So I put together four shows with the former president in December. First one is Lauderdale. December 11th, Orlando, December 12th, Houston, the next Saturday, and Dallas the next Sunday. And it's all history. No relitigating the election, no campaigning. Me and Donald Trump, mano a mano, history. Now, if you doubt my veracity or my ability, just Google O'Reilly Trump interviews from the presidential campaign. And Far and away, I'll, they were the best ever done with the man. He will tell you that. And they were no cupcake interviews, Jason. So this history tour is going to make history because the people who come to it 
and I will have all a video and I'll use selective parts of it on the No Spin News on BillOReilly.com. They will learn a lot about what happened because they don't know now. Bill, we'll end on this note, sticking with with President Trump, former President Trump. Uh, Do you think in 2024, Donald Trump would be the best Republican candidate for president? Way too early to tell that. He wants to run. He told me he wants to run. Um, I think that people have a visceral, emotional reaction to Donald Trump, and that's not good. So my question is for everybody who voted for Joe Biden, you happy with that vote now? Are you happy with two humanitarian disasters, one in Afghanistan, one at the border in eight months? So I don't know what Donald Trump is going to be in three years, two years he'd have to start. I don't know. But I'll get a good feel for it on these four shows, and then I'll be able to better assess that question. I'm sorry, I want to ask one more question related to Trump. Sure. You mentioned the visceral reaction to Trump. And, And so let's remove Trump from the question whether he'd be the best candidate. It's it's is is the it's almost I'll make a football analogy like Tim Tebow or Colin Kaepernick or even Cam Newton. The circus around them prevents them from being really employable quarterbacks in the NFL. The distraction was too much, and so you couldn't be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Colin Kaepernick, there's just too much headache around you. No one wants to be associated with you. Is, is, is Donald Trump and the visceral reaction that people have on the left, does that make him perhaps an unfit candidate to be the president? Because Perhaps he can't unify us and bring us together, and someone like Ron DeSantis potentially could. I don't think at this point in history the country is going to be unified by anybody in the next, I don't know, 10 years. It's just too polarized. Corporate media has staked out left-wing territory. Uh, Internet has uh, led to the rise of Twitter assassins. I mean, it's just too brutal, and that's not going to stop. Donald Trump thinks he can do a better job than the Democrats. He should run for president. If he believes that his policies uh, led the country into prosperity, he should make that case, as always, and let the folks decide. But he shouldn't be inhibited by people hating him. I would say he should never be inhibited. And I don't believe he will be, by the way, by people hating him. Bill, thank you so much for the time. Uh, Would love to return the favor again on your show. Uh, Thank you again. All right, we'll talk soon, Jason. Thanks for having me in. Thank you. Uh, That was awesome uh, with Bill O'Reilly. That that was, was, Jim, you got something? No, I I just- um, Waved at me like you had something. Well, no, I I just enjoyed it. I I, I I thought it was pretty interesting in the very beginning that uh, he said he was talking about his college career. You, you don't never. I don't. I don't do a lot of talking about my college career. When I was in college. I studied abroad or two. <laughs> That's good, Jim. That's pretty good. All right, go to YouTube.com/slash Jason Whitlock. Uh, you know it's Wednesday. Pastors Bobby and Anthony are here. Bobby Harrington, Anthony Walker, 
Uh, we're going to talk about some toxic masculinity. We'll probably mention, if I, you know, I, I visited Bobby's church yeah, this past Sunday. It was good. All that and more. Next! Looking for the right sign, looking like it's my time, feeling all kinds of free. These words are our religion, our regrets, and our decisions. We don't want to go to heaven with freedom. It's my obligation, no hate, discrimination, raising up your hands for freedom. All right, welcome back. Time for some harmony with pastors. Bobby Harrington and Anthony Walker from Renew.org. Uh, gentlemen, uh, welcome back. Uh, you know what? We're going to start the segment with a prayer because I just got some bad news about my rent and I need y'all to pray for me. <laughs> Let's start the segment with a prayer. Bobby, start us off. Anthony, finish us off. Uh, great honor. Uh, King Jesus, we just reach out to you and ask you to guide us in the show for the benefit of everybody watching. And Father God, always keep our minds and hearts focused on you. We pray that what we say uh, is pleasing and acceptable in your sight and help us, Father, to always be Christ-like uh, regardless of the situation. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 And uh, listen, last week, you guys, I thought we had a phenomenal conversation about manhood. Uh, I told Bobby, I want to stay on the manhood topic, but I, I need a new way to come at it. And Bobby sent me a podcast interview from Indiana University where one of their associate professors, and I think one of their students, was, was doing a, a podcast on toxic masculinity. And I, I listened to it. I found it fascinating. I found it disturbing. I found it typical of the kind of conversations we have now about masculinity. It's all defined as, as negative. But I, I want to play the first clip just so you can see where these guys are coming from. Uh, and this is, I think the professor's name is Jesse Steinhelt. Uh, and he's an associate professor at Indiana University. I want you to listen to how he defines toxic masculinity or just masculinity in general. Listen to this. What specifically intrigues you about the idea of toxic masculinity? Yeah, I think getting into this field, there was a, a personal and professional desire to better understand um, the dynamics I'd seen around me growing up, growing up as an athlete. And I was a high school, college, and professional athlete. So having those different levels of experience opened my eyes and, and exposed me to a lot of different types of people, um, and I think the biggest takeaway about all this is the heterogeneity of expression of masculinity um, is something that's really important to be acknowledged. And I think the idea of, you know, the, the term toxic masculinity is a little bit of a attempt to sort of distill and, and, and create a static dynamic, meaning um, identify something as good or bad. Right. Toxic masculinity is an attempt in my eyes to do that where it it's a little bit short-sighted because it doesn't take into account the sort of the complexity of masculinity. Masculinity is a largely a social construct, right? There's, there are some biological differences that exist, but the, the, the behavioral expressions that we see in society are largely a function of the different ways men are socialized, the message they receive, the norms they are sort of uh, socialized to conform to, and things like gender conflict. And Masculinity is a social construct. 
That's what struck me. Yeah. And I wanted to hear from two pastors. Is he right? Yeah. So I'm just going to jump in here where angels fear to tread. (laughs) This really makes me angry because what they're doing is they're taking a philosophical concept from the enlightened of our society who are rejecting both biology and scripture. And they're saying, look, uh, the way men are oftentimes by nature is bad. And so we're going to re-educate everybody. And we're going to use this concept of toxic masculinity as the boogeyman. And it is a boogeyman. But they're imposing it as though it exists everywhere, and it's only created by human society. So this is not good. I struggled with the uh, podcast. You said you were fascinated by it. I struggled with it. Uh, I understand what they're attempting to do. uh, But again, as Bobby just mentioned, we're made uniquely uh, by God. We're made different by God. And God ordained, God sanctioned It's okay. Now, do people abuse and misuse things that God has all the time? But God made us uh, in his image and we ought to be thankful for that. Yeah, I. I, One of the things and there were many thoughts as I listened to this, but one of the things I I think is like, oh, if, if masculinity is toxic or is femininity toxic or are they superior beings? who have no flaws in any of feminine energy is all good and masculine energy. There's some of it is good and some of it's bad. So is there toxic femininity as well? I don't know. So Jason, I'm not sure about toxic femininity. I've actually never heard that spoken of, but uh, it's, this is, this whole thing is, is a big deal. And I'm really glad that you want to talk about it because There's two reasons why this whole thing should bother anybody who believes in the Bible and uh, who believes in biology. And that's because, number one, the Bible teaches that God made us different as male and female. Mm -hmm. And so he teaches us to live that out differently. And then secondly, because he made us, people are trying to throw off the created order where God made us as male and female. So bio- biologically, we're different. And the idea of leveling everything, especially of making men more like women, is not helpful and is doing a lot of damage to especially young men today. You know, I've had some people reach out to me over the past couple of weeks because I said on Tucker Carlson's program that a lot of what we're seeing from the left and just what's being pushed in modern culture, I argue that it's satanic. Yeah. And this is the kind of thing that makes me, because it all seems in total objection. It's like saying the Bible is dead wrong. Mm -hmm. The things that you're taught in the Bible, the roles that they're telling you to play in the Bible are all wrong. Right. We know better. And, And this is the arrogance that I see from, I'm just sorry, the left and atheists, that they are the masters of this universe and they're going to come up with a script that's better than the script that's, you know, I did. I brought my Bible uh, last week and I still got it here. (laughs) Awesome. They know better than the Bible. Yeah. 
this is this is what I listened to this and I was scared because I'm like they're referencing Tom Allen, the football coach at Indiana University, who I know is a Christian and a believer. And I think they're distorting uh, the things that he's teaching. But but am I wrong for saying that this feels satanic, this movement that's going on in, in American culture? Anything taking us away from what God has ordained is satanic. Anything taking us from his purpose. We're made, as Bobby keeps mentioning, we're made as men to live out how God made us according to our purpose uh, as protectors, as providers, as professors. Uh, even within marriage, we have certain roles that we are created to live out. So anything that's taking that away, you know, as I see it's going, it's going to where we're moving from gender altogether. You know, you just do whatever you decide. And that goes back to what you were mentioning uh, on the last couple of episodes, the do thy wilt, you know, whatever you see, you know, have it, whatever you want to do, do it. And however you want to be, be it. And that's not how God made us. God made us uh, uniquely uh, for a purpose. Moving this into the sports lane and and because this was a conversation they were having about sports and mm-hmm. toxic, toxic masculinity within sports It's like sports has been one of the, if not the greatest institution for the development of men. And, uh, you know, in football in particular, I think they a higher number of CEOs and stuff played at least high school football. Mm-hmm. That's what so scares me is like they're so deep into all of our institutions and reshaping all of our institutions that I'm fearful we're not going to be able to recover. Well, it's really fearful because what you caught in this uh, broadcast is a real glimpse into the state of uh, universities right now in terms of the conversations and what's considered. It's just automatic assumptions that this is the way it is, that manhood is uh, toxic, that traditional manhood is toxic, uh, that uh, the idea that uh, men just need to be re-socialized and, and that's what enlightened people are doing. Hey, Jason, I wanna come back though to what you were saying earlier about Satan. Yeah. And, and uh, you, you, know, you and I have talked quite a bit about this. A lot of people don't realize that the way that Satan works is in the mindset and the beliefs that you have. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it talks about spiritual warfare, like there's warfare Mm -hmm. between the people of God and Satan and the demons. And the context of that spiritual warfare is in the mind and it's in belief systems. So that the Apostle Paul literally says, we take captive, like we're winning in a war, we take captive every thought and make it or cause it to be submitted to or following Christ. Yes. And so the way you think and what the world is doing right now is it's leading people to think the way Satan and the demons want them to think uh, about manhood and about womanhood. And this is to say this is as outrageous today as your comments on Tucker Carlson. But the fact of the matter is, it's what the Bible teaches us. So one thing I thought was very clear, and I think I want to play a cut from the uh, from the podcast. And then and then, Bobby, I know you saw something from Ali Stuckey that you found interesting. And I, and I watched it, too. Ali's 
uh, you know, a member of the Blaze family, very smart, very biblically sound. But uh, I want to find this. Uh, I think it's the second clip where the woman, where I, I, I say she makes it perfectly clear that their conversation is about the promotion or the normalizing, the promotion of the LGBT lifestyle. And, and so it's the, it's the third clip, I think, that where she's speaking about that. L- let's play that clip, and then I want you guys' reaction. And in football, you might think, well, love, that's soft. That's going to make you a sissy. Nah, dude, mm-hmm. it's, it's understanding that his very definition of love is about accountability, responsibility. I expect something out of you. I want you to be engaged with other people. And so I think there's a, no, a new understanding of how you can be a man in this rugged space, yet you don't have to sort of be pressured into some of the norms and then subsequent behaviors that might then be defined as or or manifest itself as toxic masculinity. And obviously those old status quo standards definitely need to go, especially now with athletes and coaches in this era being able to use their platform for change in a positive way. Like like you're saying, Tom Allen, that's a perfect example. I mean, so much of what he posts on Twitter promotes and encourages love, men loving each other and loving their teammates. And there's absolutely no shame in that. Showing affection, I mean, obviously sports is for men created by men and the world of sports has been a stereotypical illustration of what masculinity is supposed to be and what the traditional male gender roles are for such a long time now but when you see people going against that male athletes specifically it's very encouraging I mean I think to former Raiders tight end Colton Underwood he was actually after the NFL he was on The Bachelor you know portraying a portrayed as a straight man. But he, after The Bachelor and after coming out of the NFL, he came out as gay after so many years. And I even think about Michael Sam, NFL's first openly gay draft pick, but he didn't even get to play a regular season game as he retired a year after just because he was so open about his sexuality in that football environment. And it took such a toll on him mentally, but he sacrificed something that day, you know, his dream. Again, I know Tom Allen and the point of view he's coming from. I think he's being distorted here. I think that uh, if you really know anything about football or team sports, coaches talk about loving your teammates and and the proper way to show affection, support, uh, love towards your teammates. And and I, I listened to this and I was so upset and then I started questioning myself, like, Jason, are you, are you homophobic? Are you, wh- why does this bother you so much? And, and so I, I, get, I want both of you guys to speak to my inner conflict in terms of this is, a, is my reaction homophobic? Or, or what should my reaction be when I'm, I'm listening to people basically try to say that the proper way to love is for men to show some sort of sexual affection towards each other because that was her point. So this is what gets lost in translation and I'm gonna try to be brief and not too technical. The word love in the Bible has six different words that's used. 
Now, when you translate that into English, we just get the one word love. And a lot of times what people do is they use that one love to mean several different things. There is a word that talks about brotherly love. You've heard the word Philadelphia. That's that teammate. That's that you're my brother. We go to battle together, etc. But I'm not supposed to be intimately in love with you. And so when I think about, you know, we've all played sports. When I think about that, hey, those guys are my brother. We go to battle. We go to war together. But I don't have to be and I don't want to be intimately involved with any of you. Hey, you will we'll support one another. But if you notice how she kind of tweaked that question to where immediately she's talking about guys who've come out and guys who live this and even how she talks about being affectionate. Hey, we're supportive. Um, but but that kind of affection is not this sexual intimate type of love that they're describing. So if we allow society to take God's love in its rightful place, hey, brotherly love, friendly love, etc. But we go to this intimate love. Now, guess what happens? And you've heard the phrase love is love. And that's not how God designed this thing. And so th- that, that was one of the parts of that that kind of bothered me because it, it set the extreme of either you're toxic in your masculinity or you are, you know, LGBTQ. And even there's not a space for you as you're talking about to say, hey, I'm, I'm OK with guys being, you know, love and, and brotherly love. But I don't necessarily want this intimate love to be preached and taught in locker rooms. Um, that That's just not the case. <laughs> but, uh I don't know how you thought when you heard it, but when I thought, when I was listening to her, I thought, yeah, she's never played football. <laughs> <laughs> she actually has no idea what she's talking about yeah. because um, it's, it's projecting the world of a woman onto men. And, you know, we're just different. Uh, I don't know if you want to, uh, di- let, let me just talk about the, the concern about uh, homosexuality because I know you enough to know that you love people who struggle with homosexuality. No question. I I do. Uh, And I've had good friends and and family members, and I love them. Okay, so this, we just got to say that. But I can love you and not agree with your lifestyle choices and think that God teaches us to live differently. So I just want to say that. But I am concerned about the promotion of uh, really, if I could be crass, the castrating of manhood and the promotion of concepts of homosexuality and egalitarianism uh, in such a way that levels gender differences and creates a world uh, that the Bible says is not a world that we want for ourselves or our children because it's a world of sexual debauchery and destruction. Totally agree with you. And and I, I, I listen, I, I've talked about this previously in terms of, look, my gluttony is a problem and it's sinful. And you can still love me while disagree. You could sit in front of me at Thanksgiving and be like, hey, man, you eating too much. Take that off your plate. That doesn't mean you don't love me. It means you want what's best for me. Mm-hmm. And, and so we all have desires that need to be tamed. And, and so one of the things 
I, I, and this is going off in a little bit of different direction, but just listening to Anthony talk, we have reduced love to sex. Mm -hmm. That the way to show love is through sex. Or agreement with everything you do. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I agree, but, but I think, Anthony, the point you were making, and maybe sure. I'm just being no, redundant. That, I was making that point, yeah, too. I'm being yeah. redundant is like, We've reduced or we've combined love and sex as if like, no, there's other ways to love people mm -hmm. other than expressions of being loyal, mm -hmm. uh, being be, telling people the truth. Mm -hmm. Why don't we value that? Right. As much as telling people the truth is probably the most important thing you could do. Yeah. And it, it's it's among men. We used to really value that. We. we we respected honest people that told uncomfortable truths. And we're, we're moving into this culture now, passive aggressive. And, and, and Bobby, you just said something I thought very powerful in terms of she's projecting a woman's point of view onto a football team. And I'll go directly uh, to your church service this past summer, I mean, this past Sunday, where the expert, the woman you brought on, explain that, you know what, for women, sexuality is fluid. Yeah. She talked about that, that, yeah. and that for me, for men, it's far less fluid and, and, and that for women can find themselves attracted to other women and blah, blah. But when they see their identity through Christ, they tame those desires. Yes. And, 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 and we've had a society. And so that is the danger. I'm, it's like, we're running around at universities and everywhere teaching men to think like women. Yeah. And that can't lead to great things. No, you know, uh, the American Psychological Association came out with a statement a few years ago that traditional manhood is toxic. So if we can just, just think about that. Now we can try to, de to define traditional manhood which we talked about that last week, and I can give you a really good definition that pulls the best out of manhood. But when men are told that their traditional, and I would argue biological, natural understanding of manhood is toxic, and then what we're told is men just need to become more like women, that's not a good place for men. And men, I just wanna say this, we said this last week, most people are not talking about this, but men under 35 today are floundering all over the country. High school boys are not dating anymore. Uh, men in relationship with, with women in university, they don't know how to interact. They're wanting women to lead. Uh, women are want, still wanting men to lead. And it's, it's just a chaotic situation that's caused by abandoning concepts that are based on traditional understanding of scripture and biological makeup. Bobby, there was a clip from Ali Stuckey that yeah. you wanted to share. What did you find interesting? And we'll play. Yeah, let's let's watch this clip where she uh, describes what happens when men don't want to be men anymore. Passive men don't defend, protect, or provide. Passive men don't lead. Passive men don't do the things we have always needed men to do for society to thrive. In his book, The Abolition of Man, English social philosopher C.S. Lewis writes about this problem. He describes the tension between cerebral man and visceral man. 
By his intellect, Lewis explains, man is mere spirit and by his appetite, mere animal. We need both. Take away one and you're left with a man who's either weak or wicked. I, <laughs> you know, I, I've been telling people about a documentary I watched uh, a few months ago, America, This Is Us. And, and I think it was put out by PBS or someone like that. And it, it just goes through all of American history and all the crazy, courageous things men and women did to make America great and and to make us the top of the food chain across the planet. And and it's like we want to throw all that away that the guys, the the the, the, the men who stormed Normandy, uh, the men who faced down water hoses and attacked dogs so that we could all be free. The men who fought in the Civil War and sacrificed their lives. It's like, no, no, no. What, what we really needed to be, instead of men doing those crazy God-believing things, let's throw all that away and let's all be women and and tap into our emotions and put our emotions on display at all times. And it's just, uh, <laughs> I just, I can't, I'm so glad we get to have these conversations because Bobby, with this video, they're having a completely different conversation. And I don't think there's, there's any place for people to turn who are confused by that. Yeah, and <clears throat> I totally agree with you. The thing that really bothers me is that in so many circles today, you can't have this conversation, Jason, that you're letting us have. Mm. And if you try to start it, you get glances and, and uh, judgment and you're like unenlightened. You don't know what you're talking about. And for the sake of our children and grandchildren, we got to start having this conversation. We got to find ways to have it. And I'm telling you, the reason that men uh, like Jordan Peterson so much to bring him up is because Jordan Peterson is one of the few men publicly addressing this kind of thing today. And 80%, do you know that 80% of all of his followers are young men? And it's because he's teaching them responsibility and attributes that are traditional manhood. Are there any scriptures, any more scriptures you can share with us today, consistent with this topic, talks that people can write down and study? Yeah. Learn from. Let's uh, let if we can. Let's look at uh, Ephesians. I think we have a couple of scriptures that your team has uh, put together. Again, uh, Ephesians five. So we're going to talk about the husband and the father. Huge role, right? And uh, love your wives. The word there used for love, by the way, is this action word. It's not feel love for your wives. It's treat your wives like. She is somebody you'd die for. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So it's not a feeling word. Let me just say that again. It's, it's the Greek word agape, and it means sacrificial actions. Do, do the right thing. And then tied in with that is Ephesians 5.34. Uh, and it's a summary both for men and women. And we could spend a lot of time talking about these two words, love and respect. respect. Yes. So here's what it says. 
Each of you must love his wife. We've already talked about that as himself. And the wife must respect her husband. So women treat men with a unique accent on respect. Mm -hmm. Husbands treat their wives with a unique accent on sacrificial service. And that's a pretty good combination. So for a lot of the young and millennial Christians out there, there's a lot of the church is is teaching tolerance for virtually everything. And uh, they're they're draping the discussion they had in this podcast. They, they fixed it up and, and are describing it in a biblical way and in a Christian way and that that, you know, there is no hate. God doesn't hate anybody. And, and they make it sound like God has tolerance for everything. When I, th- I think layman's understanding is like, wow, that's just not really true. <laughs> God has tolerance for the things he wants you to do. And he's pretty intolerant of the things he doesn't want. Am I right? It's again, it's this play on words. It's, it's we're trying to describe if I accept you, then I'm going to treat you this particular way that I won't tell you the truth that I won't be. Ephesians four lets us know that we can speak the truth in love. And, and that's what God does with us. God meets us all with grace. So that's how he first encounters us. But within our relationship with God, he calls us to be better. I'm not supposed to live and be led by my emotions. He gave me emotions. I have emotions, but I'm called to be led by the spirit, which means that at times I got to bring my emotions in check. Uh, I've got hormones. I've got testosterone flowing through me that may make me want to be aggressive or may make me want to lust after things, etc. I can't be led by my hormonal, you know, my body because the flesh is against the spirit. So again, in my relationship with God, he knows, as you just pointed out, he knows how we are, but he always calls us to be better. Even one of the best individuals in scripture, Jesus challenged him to be better than that. So in this idea, like you talk about tolerance, now, I don't hate anybody. Hey, I, I love everybody and I want everybody to be what God has called them to be. But if you are living a life that goes contrary to that as a lover of people and a lover of God, I'm called to challenge you. Hey, we got to do better and we got to do better than we've got to do better than this. This is going against what God wants you to be. I'll say this as well. Even the Apostle Paul. Paul, who was well-trained in scripture, well-trained in all of that, even he had some things that were going awry. And Christ meets up with him and says, what you're doing is actually persecuting me. So to those who say, I'm just trying to live my truth, et cetera, I have to say, wait a minute, actually that living or that life or what you're doing, you talk about all these different sins that we have, Actually, that's going against what God wants. Let's get back to what God wants. You know, Jason, I think that, uh, first of all, what I find is that your instincts are really good. And I think what you're saying is, look, everything's not peaches and cream and just love and accept everybody. And you're talking about uh, churches 
where the pastors uh, have become feminized and the church is woke and, and your instinct is something's not right about that because what you intuitively and instinctively know is there is a place for a man to stand up and say, that's not right and we're going to do something about it. And what I sense is that's what you're wanting uh, and rightfully so from some church leaders right now. The courage to say, to call out what we've already described as satanic lies that we're embracing. And where are the pastors standing up and saying, that's not right. We've got a better way. Let's follow that way. I think that's what you're wanting. No question about it. And one of the things I was having a conversation uh, today before the show with our, our makeup uh, lady, uh, Jenna, and I, we, she's a believer, and we, I was telling her that we've turned the American dream into just a pursuit of money. And that it's a pursuit of three cars and a three car garage and a summer home. And, and that's all any of us, and including a lot of pastors, that's all they're in it for. And, and if we're really about leaving, because that's, I, I think, the greatest calling on human beings and what God, how did you handle what you created? And so you create children. Did you leave them in a better spot than what they were found in and what you found? Did you help? And we're not doing that anymore. We're, we're, we're chasing money and thinking well, money. Chasing money and pleasure and emotions and desires rather than saying, hey, I want to love God. I want to live a life of value and worthiness. I want to for the sake of God and God's kingdom, be who we want to be and create the world in a better place to show God's ways and God's kingdom because it's ultimately the best for everybody. And to live that noble life, that's where men, we just got to call out men from all those lesser things yes. mm -hmm. to live that noble life. Yes. And I think the attack on masculinity is basically telling men lay down. Just, you're all wrong. Just lay down and shut up and and become more like women. And, and, and the whole it's stopping and pastors are going for it and they're afraid that they're going to interfere with their following. And uh, will my book sell? Will I be popular on social media? And, and you know, at some point, you know what, next week we may, <laughs> or at some point we need to get into conversation. You know, Facebook is trying to actually become the home for churches. And there's yeah. going to be yeah. repercussions from yeah. that, that they're not just like we're, Facebook and its algorithms control the messaging and censor whoever they want. Mm -hmm. I can't wait for all these ministers to turn to their churches over and we Facebook platform. <laughs> wait till they get sick. Yeah. Uh, hey, I can't, because I, I really want us to be encouraging to people. Yeah. Can we come back to a definition that, that I introduced last week? Please do. And we'll I want to tie it explicit, end on this note. explicitly you, in with, with the person of Jesus, because I think it's one thing to, you know, curse the darkness. But the other thing is to light a candle and show the way of Jesus.
Mm-hmm. So uh, I just want to uh, ask them to put it on the screen again. Here's what we're talking about. Like we're talking about a Christ-like man. We want to be like Jesus and we want to call men to the nobility of being like Jesus. And here's what that looks like. He rejects passivity and uh, ask them to put it on the screen. I don't know if they're able to. That Jesus came into the world to rescue us. Like the Bible teaches that because Satan got a foothold in humanity, we're lost. So Jesus rejected passivity to come and get us. He expected his father's greater reward. The Bible teaches that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him, Mm -hmm. that God was going to work things out. Thirdly, he accepts responsibility. Again, Jesus went to the cross because I couldn't get rid of my sin and my sin and your sin. That's our biggest problem. So Jesus accepted responsibility to take care of us by dying on the cross. And then lastly, leads courageously. You know, Jesus, if he was one thing, he was a courageous man. The Bible teaches that while he lived his life in the flesh, Jesus was fully human. Yes. Just like you and me. And one of the best scenes in the Bible is in he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's weighing out the cost of giving up his life. He knows he's going to die. He's pleading that he doesn't have to die. Uh, And then he realizes he's going to have to die. And it's the greatest example of courage. And he's leading courageously for our sake, for you and me. So Jesus is the ideal man. And that real man, that Christ-like man, that's the one we want to promote and call people into. Yes. Sounds pretty masculine to me. Uh, <laughs> Jim, you got anything you want to add? Uh, no, I don't. Oh, all right. Well, we're done. We're out of here. That's it and that's all. We'll see you tomorrow. Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like Nothing in life like freedom Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder Making all this moves for freedom I want freedom No negotiation, my sister, no relation We all just wanna have freedom Sitting on the corner, never been alone I'm breaking my back for freedom Bless, we are living, get back We are receiving, all receiving We all wanna be free we want freedom. I just want, I wanna be, I just want.